Welcome to UpcomingHorrorMovie.com's UHM Podcast. Okay, hello, welcome back folks. This is episode 8 of UpcomingHorrorMovie.com's UHM Podcast. We're glad to have everybody back after a little bit of a break. Um, so we got a great show today. Uh, with us we got two of our most requested uh, guests and uh, leaders of discussion over from England, my co-host, Mr. Shane Smith. Good evening, all. How are you doing today, Shane? I'm all right. I'm good. Um, nice and chilled. Um, aside from uh, having a cat kill my legs, I'm good. New kitten. You don't need, you don't need legs anyway, <laughs> That's funny. <sighs> so with us also is uh, back from Chicago, uh, Mr. Mike Whittemore. How you doing, Mike? Good, 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 good. So I thought we'd start off with a segment that I didn't uh, tell either of my co-hosts about, and I'm just springing it on them. Totally unplanned on their part. Um, so I'm going to call this part of the show, What's Going On? I thought we could just say... Sort of what you've been uh, watching or listening to or playing or doing whatever recently. Um, probably horror related, I guess we should keep it. And, um, you know, I'll start off. Just uh, recently I've been playing a shitload of the new Doom game, which is amazing. I absolutely love it. The The single player on that is just like, it's exactly what I wanted out of a Doom game. Um I mean, other than that, I sort of been. Uh, I watched a movie called Sharkensaw Women's Prison Massacre. <laughs> yeah, it's as great as it sounds. It's horrible. Really? One of the worst movies I've had the pleasure of watching. <laughs> the worst part about the movie is that, like, it sounds like it's going to be like a shark movie in a women's prison, right? Right. There's there's no prison. There's no nudity. It's just a bunch of terrible actresses out in the woods wearing skimpy outfits, being killed by CGI, I don't even know what. It, like, it's like, the movie's just unbelievably terrible. So, one to avoid. Than, uh, what's that? One to avoid. Yeah, definitely one to avoid. That's my, my, my little uh, mini review of Sharkensaw Women's Prison Massacre. Um, okay. Don't watch it. Absolutely horrible. <laughs> so, so Shane, what's going on with you? Anything interesting <laughs> in the horror world? Right, what have I been watching recently? Well, just recently I've discovered the joys of Preacher. Um, mm. Obviously, Garth Ennis, um, his uh, adapta comic adaptation um, from, based around a preacher, a vampire, and the preacher's love interest. Um, and it's absolutely fantastic. It's everything I wanted. Um because I used to read the comics years ago, and I'm talking 20 years ago when the comics first came out. And yeah, right. uh, uh, it's it's been a long time coming. It's actually um, co-written by Seth Rogen. And Seth, the actor? We, yeah. Um, he's actually co-written it and co-directed it. And it's amazing. Um, mm. The first episode blew my mind, seriously. Um, because I was waiting for it to come out and I was anticipating 
it to be either really shit or it was going to be really good. There was no, no in between. And it turns out it's absolutely brilliant. I loved it. Um, Cassidy the Vampire is definitely my favourite character. He's an Irish 120-year-old um, vampire. And uh, his opening scene in an airplane is utterly fantastic. It's It was just genius. Um, other than that, um, I've been listening to a lot of music by a band called Paris, um, which I kind of like. They're, uh, they're an American kind of rock dance act. Sounds weird, but they're actually really good. Hmm. Um, also, I've been uh, listening to a lot of <laughs> Guns N' Roses. I've been going old school and listening nice. to some GNR. <laughs> Yeah, because um, <clears throat> I walked into my local. We have uh, charity shops in the UK, obviously second-hand stores, and um, I walked in there a few days back, and they had the entire Ministry collection and the entire Guns N' Roses collection, and I thought I'm fucking having them. So um, yeah, it turns out there was a couple of the Ministry albums that I already had, but I just gave them away to someone else. Oh, I was so, going to say, you, you seem like the kind of guy that would probably have every Ministry album. I can't believe there's some you didn't have. Uh, yeah, well, there was a couple, but um, these are the these are the ones that are really difficult to get hold of. I'm talking early albums, so um, yeah. But I have everything by Ministry, um, <laughs> so uh, yeah, that was pretty cool. And uh, movie-wise, I've not really been watching much in the way of movies, apart from the ones that we're going to be talking about tonight. Cool. So, uh, Mike, what's going on with you? Uh, nothing much really. Just. Um... Trying to get through the day. Um, if I have time, I watch some movies. Uh, like Shane, I haven't been really watching a lot of horror movies lately, considering uh, a lot of the new stuff is pretty horrible. Um, but yeah. doing the Netflix spotlight, I just did. I just watched uh, Event Horizon again, which is awesome. I love yeah, Event Horizon. Um, Horizon. Amazing film. Yeah, and it, it's just so good. I wrote the review, so it's up there now. Um, no, I didn't see that. Yeah, Fright just put it up. Uh, I think today or last night for Netflix <clears throat> Spotlight. Cool. We'll read that on. Read on that later. Yeah, and um, for uh, games, I I put Doom on the back burner right now because I feel like it's a really simple game to jump back into. Absolutely. I've been trying to get through uh, Borderlands 2, which uh, I put about 35 hours into it, and I'm not even halfway through the game. So I love Borderlands 2. Let me ask you: Are you playing with your uh, girlfriend or anybody else? No, just me solo. She uh, she plays a lot of survival horror games. Like my girlfriend yeah. knows, like in a crazy amount about horror games. So I but, tried uh, to get my girlfriend into Borderlands too. Um, this mm -hmm. is going to be a little segue uh, for anybody that doesn't play other nerd games. So I tried to get her into it. She doesn't play video games at all, really. I mean, she'll play Zelda games and some Smash Brothers and some other stuff. Never yeah. really got into first person shooters. Um, but when I got my Xbox One, I picked up that Borderlands collection. And I'm like, oh, we got to do co-op Borderlands 2. Because I'd, I'd played through all Borderlands 2 by myself. Well, by myself on the PC, I'd team up with, you know, random yeah. folks on the internet. But, you know, that's you, you get a little split-screen action. And uh, so we were going pretty good. We I don't know that we hit the halfway mark. We're probably, we made it to Sanctuary. I think that's about as far as we got. So, oh, okay. But I love that game, man. I'm, I'm like, that's one of my favorite games of all time. See, I tried playing the first one because I... I I knew that the uh, it was going to be backwards compatible, 
So yeah. I couldn't get into it. I couldn't get into it for the life of me. And then I bought the Handsome Collection thinking it was going to be in there, but it wasn't. So I yep. started with Borderlands 2, and I, I love it. I think it's fantastic. Yeah, it's, the story doesn't really continue. You don't really need the first one to get into the second. It's not like it's... I mean, some of the characters are the same, but, you know, there, there's probably more background story in Borderlands 2 than all of uh, Borderlands 1. Yeah, that's that's what I was kind of thinking. I mean, I, I I was asking people on Reddit. I was like, do you really have to play the first one in order to get the second one? They're like, no. So I, I jumped into it. I probably won't play the pre-sequel for a while. I, after this, I'm probably going to jump back into Doom and then hopefully finish Witcher 3 by the time I'm 40 years old. So Nice. <laughs> hey, listen, there's nothing wrong with being 40 years old and trying to no, finish video, <laughs> video games from 10 years ago. dedicated to one game, so... <laughs> Yeah, there's nothing right with being 40 years old either. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> yeah. All right. So that's the end of our new segment. Congratulations, fellas. We survived it. Thought we had right. a little, little spontaneity in there. That was, that was uh, unexpected. Yeah. <laughs> well, I always think the best discussions are the ones we have that are, you know, off the script. I think those were always Spontaneous. the most interesting. You have to be careful, though, that nerd talk. We can make a whole... I know. Whole podcast See, on that. Listen, you, so, you said be... border. You said Borderlands, and my eyes lit up. I'm like, oh, Borderlands. I'm like, let's start talking classes. Um, <laughs> but anyway, let's uh, let's get on with our main subject here. This is something I know Shane's been wanting to do for quite a while. Um, so I'm going to sort of let him more or less take the lead on it. Um, on each on each one anyway, because this is sort of his passion project. I let he uh, he picked all the movies out and sort of I had to wrangle him back. As uh, yeah. as we said, See, oh, let's do a vampire episode. Shane gave me a list of about thirty-five movies, and I'm like, no, Shane. There wasn't thirty-five. <laughs> there was fourteen. At one time, you said there's uh, sixty-five Hammer movies I'm considering. Oh I'm yeah, like, that one. No, no. Basically, what it was, right? What it was, I'd gone through the list of all the. I basically went through IMDb. I went through the list of all the Hammer vampire movies that they did, and there is sixty-five vampire. <laughs> movies that Hammer did. And I thought, yeah, there's no fucking way whatsoever with it all that lot. Um so obviously I said to you, yeah, okay, let's like choose a couple, you know, and then you were like, no. <laughs> In a nutshell. And then I came down with I wrangled it down to a list of fourteen different films and you were like, no, let's just just do six. I'm like sake all right <laughs> so this is gonna be what we'll call this like the um the first part of a, of a uh it won't be a multi-part episode in a row probably but we'll definitely no. come back we'll come back to the vampire topic we'll have some nice lists yeah but i think we got but a nice we, selection today yeah well, i think we have actually i like um, i like the, the hopping around we did you know we uh we didn't we, we decided not to just go like in a row or sort of uh you know, pick movies from one era. We're spanning all kinds of decades and going all over the place here, so I think this will be a pretty good show. Yeah, I mean, we've got we're pretty much covering about a hundred years of cinema. Um, yeah, vampire genre. So it's it's it should be pretty cool. So with that in mind, um, I'm going to kick off the first film on the list is um, F. M. Murnau, um, his version of Nosferatu. Starring Max Schreck, Greta, Greta Schrader, and Ruth Langhoff. Um, set, um, filmed nineteen or filmed and released in nineteen twenty-two. Um, basically, it's this film. If anybody has seen the film Dracula, 
um, or read the book Dracula, it's essentially this film is based off, or it is based off of the novel Dracula, where um, we have an estate agent um, basically gets dispatched to an associate to Count Horlock in Castle Transylvania to no negotiate the purchase of homes in around Europe. And basically the plan is to um, sell the house that he lives in um, and leaving the estate agent's wife um, in the house on her own with Count Orlock living across the street, obviously. Um, the locals don't take to him too kindly and um, they don't want to want him anywhere or want to be anywhere near the castle. And then uh, strange events occur, people go missing, people end up getting munched, etc, etc. Um, the house is sold to Warlock, um, and then basically he sense, has a sense of dread following him around. Um, and Warlock traps him at the castle, leaving him at the mercy of his uh, bride. And uh, basically Warlock has intentions on Hutter's wife. So obviously with this film in um, being a classic, this obviously wasn't the first vampire movie made, um, but this is one of note because it was the first proper black and white vampire movie to get a general release um, around the world. Um, it was actually being banned in several countries. Um, it was banned in Sweden in until 1992 because of uh, excessive horror. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, um, and basically there are many different, well, I will say there are many different versions of this film in, that exist. Uh, there are six versions of it that exist. At the, uh, well, the film, six versions of the film existed at one point. Mm -hmm. um, the shortest being 65 Minutes, which was the most recent VHS release. Um, and the longest version being 94 minutes, and there are standard version 90, is 92 minutes, and there are two that are 84 and 85 minutes as well that were released in the 1990s. Plus, there's also a version that has the entire soundtrack done by Typo Negative, um, which I'm actually trying to get. Yeah, I'm actually trying to get hold of that. Um, yeah, I can never find it. I always try to look for that one, but I can never find yeah. it. Yeah. See, well, well, I'm a big Typo Negative fan, so I'll probably end up just singing along to the soundtrack itself instead of actually watching the film. But um, yeah, it's uh, it is a classic film. Um, I love it. It's uh, it was one of the first vampire films I actually watched when I was I was a teenager. Really? Yeah. That's that's amazing. So. Most people don't see this movie unless they. Uh... Unless they search it out, you know. Yeah, I mean, it was—it's funny because I can remember I was—it it, they had it on TV one night. Well, I think I must have been about fourteen or fifteen, and it was a weekend, and I was just up, just late at night, and I just saw it on, and I was watching it, and I was like, "Wow, this is really cool." And I'm a fan of the old black and white films. I do love them um, because there's something about the monochrome that adds character to a film, and. Um, I just absolutely loved it. The creepiness. It was. It's a creepy film. For anybody who's never seen a vampire movie, uh, you know, outside of the horror genre, 
I mean, it is a creepy film, and for a film that's almost a hundred years old, it is it does leave an impression. Yeah, the first time I really saw this movie um, was for a cinema course in, uh, in at uh, university, and it was really surprising how much I actually enjoyed it. it. Was I was not really well versed in any silent film at all. I hadn't really been exposed to anything like that. So right. I thought going into it that I would hate it. Like, how am I going to, you know, sort of respond to this silent movie that's happening in little text subtitles? But as you watch it, the acting and the sort of cinematography and everything that's really put into it is is so far um, ahead of what you're normally used to seeing that yeah. it really captures you. Like every time I watch this movie, it's it's literally every scene is like looking at a painting. It's it's so beautiful. And uh, yeah, the the shadows. I mean, there's there was a quote somebody had. Um, I can't remember who it was. It was. It, from back in the silent era, they said um, movies are not about what, not about what you show, but about what you don't show. The shadows yeah. are the most important part of any uh, cinematic movie, and I thought this is that speaks, you know, volumes and definitely speaks to this movie because um, the the shadows in it are really, really something that you can pay attention to and something that really captures your eye. I mean, everyone knows the famous scene, you know, when when Orlock sort of climbing up the stairs and you see his, his hand sort of stuck out. Oh, you only see his shadows. You don't see yeah. him. You just see his shadow sort of lurking up the stairs. Yeah. And, you know, that's just one example, but that's something that you can see stands out. Or like that part where he's, they show him sort of come out of the darkness. He's at the castle right after Hunter gets there. And he yeah. like sleeks out of the darkness. And it, it like he must have been in the darkest place on earth, just completely blacked out. It was so creepy looking. Yeah. But it's just one of those films I think a lot of people don't really watch. A lot of people seem to ignore it. And when you explain to people that Nosferatu is definitely one of the first movies of its kind to, you know, embrace the vampire um, itself. And bearing in mind it is based upon Bram Stoker's novel. Loosely. Based, based loosely, loosely. Yeah. Come on, it is completely it's, it's stolen. Spot on to uh, Dracula. <laughs> Even from like him arriving in the stagecoach and he's driving the stagecoach yeah. just like it is in the book, and then he comes up to the castle. That's I yeah. think that's pretty spot on. I mean, they pretty much just changed the characters. They merged some characters. You yeah. know, instead of, instead of um, Lucy and Mina, they sort of pushed those together. For Hutter's mm. wife, it's sort of the same, you know, it's it's one girl instead of multiple girls. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it, it's pretty much just Dracula with a coat of paint slapped over it because they couldn't, they were trying to make Dracula. They went out to make a Dracula movie and they yeah. didn't get the rights and they said, ah, fuck it, we'll make it, <laughs> we'll just change the names of everybody and it'll be the same thing. Yeah. See, not only that, I mean, because I know there was a big lawsuit as well regarding, oh, yeah. um, regarding the all prints of the movie and between Bram Stoker's widow resulting in all prints of the movie being destroyed. Um, oh, hang on. Incoming kitten. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, he's trying to get in on the act. He's just sitting. Oh, he's on the back of the sofa now. He was on my shoulder. Um, yeah, it was basically all prints were destroyed. So it was literally the case of somewhere along the line 
the print had surfaced, and that's the one. Um, I think it was. It, I think it uh, surfaced somewhere in Europe. Um, so basically, they've made multiple copies of that to send around the world, and that's the version that we see today. Yeah, there were there were a couple copies that survived, and and some that were only partial, and some that were only you know like there was like there were whole sections of of cut versions, and then they found yeah. uh, other sections that were only partial ones. There's a great, I think it's um, I think it's Kino. They they have a Blu-ray and a DVD both of uh, Nosferatu, and they have what they call the most complete version that has okay. every like. I guess they would be called deleted scenes or whatever, but any found scenes from the movie they've incorporated back in and restored. It's actually a really great version. They um, okay. A couple of them that I've seen too, like this is one of them. They have what they call color tiles that were apparently originally in some versions of the film were the instead of just being black and white, they'd have a tint applied to them. So like a scene yeah. in the daytime might be tinted yellow. Whereas a scene in yeah. the nighttime might be tinted blue, and that's right. it's a good indicator of what time it's supposed to be. In in movies back in the day, they couldn't film anything at night. Everything was filmed in the day because you could only capture you know light coming into the camera. So everything was like you know well lit on purpose or, or shot during the day, and they just sort of used different tactics to imply it was night. So right. like you know having the tint on there it helps a lot especially in scenes like they like they have that one scene where Orlock's carrying his coffin through the town which yeah. is super creepy. I mean Max Shrek it, when he's like walking through town with his coffin, I don't know how this guy is holding this huge coffin out like just on his side with one arm and like it looks so weird carrying it through yeah. but the uh but then the version that I was watching it's got like a blue tint so you're like oh it's at night that's why he's walking through town. Yeah, that's that's the version I watched too. I really like that aspect of it. Even like they use like a pink or a red when it's about to be uh, morning or night. Yeah, exactly. See, see, not only that is the graininess of it all that I absolutely loved because it looks so gritty and grainy. It's just, it's just such a beauty, and I think it is. It looks amazing for what it is, and for the time. You know, oh yeah. For its time, it's just. Fantastic. Unfortunately, like I think it's a fantastic film. I really do. But I think I don't know if I'd be able to recommend it to somebody because recommending a movie from 1922 it's gonna be hard to do if you're just a casual horror movie watcher. Like I don't think the normal, you know, I'm gonna flip on Osferatu. You know, they're not gonna really appreciate. Uh, the visuals, or you have to literally expand your mind to watch an old movie like that. Um, yeah. I was reading a lot of people saying that, oh, it's not scary, it's more funny than anything. It's like, well, you have to funny. look at it from a different point of view. And it's just, I don't know, you like, uh, there's just so many elements to it. It's just so old, and it's just hard to, I think, get into if you're part of a newer generation of it. I think it really is a movie for cinema fans. I think if somebody's yeah, yeah, like yeah. really interested in film, and I mean not just the history of film, but I mean how films should be shot and put together. You know, this is a prime example of of how you need to do it 
regardless of sound or whatever else or what's going on, just the framing and everything that's happening on the screen. I mean, this is a time almost before special effects, and they have special effects in the movie. You know, yeah. fade ins and fade when outs. Where you... like fade, yeah, like when he, you know, fades out, or when um, he's putting the coffins on top of the carriage, and he kind of just oh, yeah. like hops in it, and they just. That's just awesome. I mean, I, you, before you saw that kind of movie, it's you wouldn't think that's possible back then. Yeah, at the time, that must have blown people's <laughs> minds. Like he, they, he just there, he's there, and then he just disappears from the scene. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't appear to be any different camera shot, and he's just gone. It's amazing. So I could, I could see that blowing people's minds back in the day. But I mean, at the same time, it works today still. I don't see, you know, there's nothing in that that I see as a negative. In, in in terms of the what you call quote unquote special effects and the makeup is obviously amazing too. Everyone knows the classic, you know what they call the Nosferatu makeup and you know looking like Count Orlock. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's so good that people actually thought Max Shrek was a vampire. <laughs> <laughs> I mean that could be debated, right? Um, yeah. What was what was that movie? The uh, uh, Shadow, Shadow of the Vampire. Vampire. Yeah. Willem Dafoe yeah. playing. Um, yeah, it was Willem Dafoe playing Orlock. Yep, that was a great movie. Yeah, that, that, a... That's that's definitely more of a comedy. It's uh... oh yeah, yeah, that plays yeah. on him actually being a vampire and him eating like the cast and crew and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's got quite a few familiar faces in it as well, hasn't it? Because you've got Eddie Izzard in there as well. Um, Has anyone seen the uh, remake, the '79 remake? Yeah, I've yes. seen both versions of it: the German version and the English version. <laughs> Is that is that a uh, Ziggy paying paying us a visit? That's my cat Shadow sneaking in here. She's very vocal. Yeah, Ziggy is currently attacking my right hand. So he's he's like being all cute and adorable, and he's got all four paws and his teeth. So he's not being very vocal at the moment. <laughs> I might be in a second though. <laughs> I know that they're. Uh... They were gonna. I know that they had a '79 remake, and I know yep. that they're remaking it this year as well. And I was just thinking to myself, I don't know how you can remake it, considering it's it's essentially Dracula. Well, if yeah. you go, if you watch the the Nosferatu one with uh, Klaus Kinski, um, that that was the one in the '70s. It it is a more faithful adaption to the Dracula novel than yeah. the original Nosferatu was. Um, and but you know they they kept a lot of the same things, some of the same shots they recreated, some of the same uh, sort of themes they have like over in the castle, and the obviously the makeup they they kept that very similar to you know to keep the heritage of the movie. Um, they're actually remaking it this year with uh, Doug Jones, who was in Hellboy, yeah, the um, the Fishman, yeah, movie. he's been. Oh, okay. He's been in quite a lot. He was also in Pan's Labyrinth. Um, oh, that's right. Think yeah. Played him. yeah, I'm trying to think who he, he played um, in Pan's Labyrinth. He, he must have been the skinny guy with the, the eyeball hands. That's got to be him. Yes, that's it. Yeah. Yeah, he was on uh, he was on Movie Fights, another podcast I, and uh, and show I watch this week. He did a oh, good right. job. Good job, Doug Jones. I wonder how they're going to do the makeup for the new one. Oh, it's got to be That'd be interesting. I mean, from from what I understand, um, the the director that's making it is someone who made a previous remake of the Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Um, so I imagine if he's sort of focused on that, those old timey movies, you know, he's he's got to have a lot of respect for it. I imagine he's going to use 
practical effects for the makeup and whatnot. Sounds good to me. So yeah, I'm a, big fan, I'm a big fan of Nosferatu. Um, no, I mean, every version you watch is going to be slightly different than another one because of just because of the way this movie is. It's so old and there's various copies like Shane mentioned, you know, running around. Some are going to be more grainy. Some are going to be more cleaned up depending on, you know, which version either you purchase it. And this is actually in public domain in the U.S. So if you go on public domain websites, you can legally watch this for free. I'm not sure what version is up there, but there are there are some available. Um, yeah. I recommend getting a good quality copy, though. I mean, I, like I said, I've got a, the Kino DVD, I think, of it. Fine. And it's it's got a it's got a new soundtrack recorded by. Oh, it, I just looked it up. It was an Australian symphony and they do a fantastic job. And apparently it's the original soundtrack that was supposed to be, you know, the original type of music that's supposed to be played. I mean, everyone's got to remember that back in the day Ow. when these when these movies would be shown, they if they were shown in a cinema, there would be a band there or an orchestra playing the music. There There wasn't any soundtrack to go with the movie. It was just a band playing the movie back in the 1920s. Or if it was shown in, you know, a much smaller cinema with a, you know, just a, a projector on a small screen, there'd be a piano player playing a tune, and he'd have the sheet music for whatever music was supposed to be going on during that scene. Wasn't that so, the Kronos Quartet? The what? The Kronos Quartet. I'm trying to think. That did what? That did the soundtrack. I'm trying to think. Oh, the original soundtrack? I don't know who yeah, wrote no, it. No, no, no. Kronos Quartet, who did the uh, new version. This was an orchestra, I know. I, it was definitely not a quartet. Ah, right, okay. I mean, I'm sure there's versions done by quartets and everybody else. You know, that's mm. what I mean. Every every copy you're going to find is probably going to be slightly different. If you yeah. watch, you know, a VHS one or a different... Like, this is probably just on the Kino DVD, I imagine. If you find... There's other DVDs, too, from... Um, I think maybe even Synapse might have one. There's some other company that has one in the U.S. that's readily available. It's supposed to be a pretty good quality image. They probably have a different soundtrack. Oh, okay. <clears throat> right then. So, so yeah, it's uh, it's worth checking out for anybody that's interested in vampires or in I think just cinema itself. Like if you if you're interested in in the history of cinema or you're interested in how films are made and shot, this is definitely something to check out. It certainly is. I, w I would uh, say if you want to start begin from the very start, check out Nosferatu. Most definitely. You agree, Mike, or do you think this is um, something you could pass over? Um, it depends. Like I said, I mean, if you're just looking for a random, you know, Dracula movie to watch, and you really have to, I think, have to go a little later. But if you really appreciate cinema and you're not gonna think some things are goofy. Uh, then I would definitely watch it and appreciate it for what it is and what they got away with back then. Yeah, I'd say this is not a movie you can put on in the background and be like... No, definitely not. You know, you can't be like reading the paper or dicking around on Facebook while this movie is on. You, you need to be sitting there paying attention to it. Like you Stop said, it's, it's like a painting. You have to really appreciate yeah. every single shot that's in this film. It is a piece of art in itself, yep. most definitely. I completely agree. Yeah. No. No? <laughs> no. I'm so, sorry. I'm talking to the cat. The cat is trying to eat the mic cable. <laughs> that was funny. That was a very clear no right into the mic. <laughs> sorry. 
<laughs> but anyway, moving on. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Right. Dracula has risen from the grave. Directed by Freddie Francis, written by Anthony Anthony Hines and a Bram Stoker, starring the late great Christopher Lee. Basically, um, this follows on from one of the previous Dracula movies done by Hammer, with um, Dracula, or with the castle has been exercised. Dracula takes revenge by making the man who performs the rites. Um, making his niece his bride. Um, <clears throat> so, oh. you know, sorry, hang on a minute. No, stop it, Ziggy. Ah! <sighs> Alright, that's in, that's wound 54. Um, a lot of shenanigans. Oh, you know I'm sorry, I'm really distracted. Ryan, you're going to have to take over from this one. Yeah, no problem, Shane. <laughs> He's got his hand, he's got his hands full with a new kitten. Um, so yeah, we sort of went with this Dracula movie. Um, I sort of picked it because I didn't want to just go. I feel like if we just went in an order, it wouldn't be a nice random grab of all the vampire movies that are available out there. So I picked sort of one of the Hammer movies that's kind of in the middle of the series. Um, and it just, it, I think a lot of Hammer movies are like that. Like, it has Dracula in it. It's a Dracula story, but it's not the Dracula story. It's not the same story you see a million times in a row. So in this one, Dracula's already been killed three or four times. And um, uh, a new, a Monsignor comes to town, and he finds that everybody's still scared of the Dracula castle because Dracula's evil is still somewhere around the castle. So the Monsignor basically says, that's bullshit. We're going up there, and we're going to take care of this place. He grabs the cowardly priest with him. They make the trek up to Dracula's castle, and the Monsignor basically nails this huge golden cross to, to Dracula's front door while the, uh, the cowardly priest doesn't want to climb the hill and go up to the castle. So the Monsignor go, leaves, and the cowardly priest falls down and smashes his head on a rock or, and then bleeds onto some ice that tra Dracula's trapped under because in, a, in the previous film, Dracula was killed by falling into a river. Um, yep. I can't remember what the name of that one was. Is that Taste the Blood of Dracula? I think it was, yeah. Or, or maybe that's the... I don't remember which what the order is on a lot of these. But anyway, so Dracula's under the ice. The blood gets dripped through the cracked ice into Dracula's mouth. And boom, Dracula's back in action. He grabs the cowardly priest and says... And go, they, he's like, come with me, you're my new slave. So, and the priest is so weak and weak-willed, he has no choice but to become Dracula's slave. They go up to the castle. They see the he sees the golden cross on the door, and the look on Christopher Lee's face is classic. Yes, he, he's basically like, "Who the fuck did this?" <laughs> and the priest is, it is amazing. The priest is like, "Oh, it was Monsignor," and the look, Lee's like, <laughs> "I mean, it's not a car, but he's like, get in the car. We're taking care of business." <laughs> Get in the carriage. <laughs> Get in the carriage. And they hop in the yeah. carriage and take off. And there's some great scenes of the um, of the priest like riding the carriage while Dracula's in the back of the carriage. And it's like cruising through the woods full speed, jumping over logs and stuff. It's really good. Um, meanwhile, meanwhile, the Monsignor returns to his hometown, which isn't which isn't Dracula's town. It's on the other side of some Eastern European country, I guess. Yeah. And um his niece is his niece or his daughter 
His niece. It's his niece. His niece is dating um, this guy that works at a bakery, but he also wants to be go to college and be like tr- educationally trained. And he's pissed off everybody because he's like the only atheist in town. And I'm like, how is there an atheist in like 1600? <laughs> but anyway, so this guy's an atheist and, do- and doesn't believe in any religion. And he's like, oh, this, you know, this Dracula stuff is BS. And Dracula comes to town, starts killing people, takes takes the girl as his bride to get back at the Monsignor. And uh, everybody's got to team up to uh, to end, uh, you know, the reign of Dracula once and for all. Except the next time he comes back in like a year. So your description of that movie is so much better than the one I could come up with. <laughs> and I have to say, it, you made it sound like an action flip. I think if we were going to recreate that, you'd have to do the script for that, Ryan, because that was awesome. <laughs> Oh, I'd love to. I'd volunteer for that. Yeah. No, this is this is like a classic Hammer movie because I mean, <clears throat> Hammer movies are super super gothic. They've got these great sets. They've got these great set pieces they use and that they reuse. That's one of uh, my girlfriend's favorite gripes is that every time we watch a Hammer movie, she's like, "That's the same fucking castle we've seen in all these movies." <laughs> I'm like, "I know. They only have one castle." <laughs> <laughs> they only have one set. <laughs> that's it. They only got one. Like any interior shot in a castle, she's like, "That's the same." We're watching Frankenstein, or we're watching one of the Dracula movies, or we're watching anything. She's like, "That's the same castle." I'm like, "I know." <laughs> but so you know, there's there's humor in the movies too. It's not just a hundred percent straightforward. They put a lot of fun in it, and they always have fantastic acting and a great cast. And, you know, there's always a lot of stuff to love in any Hammer movie, and I think this one's a great example of it. It's 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 sort of one of those middle-of-the-road Hammers that you don't hear a lot about, but it's still a lot of fun to watch. I completely agree. Even, like, the little, uh, and how the, um, what's her face? The red-headed uh, bar maiden, Yo, the, the, or whatever the they call her back then. She was completely <laughs> obsessed with, uh, I think his name's Paul, uh, the guy who wants to go to college, and he's she's, just, like, trying to, make her way to get with them and everything. I thought that was pretty fun. Yeah, she's taking his pants off in bed, yeah. and his girlfriend walks in. Yeah, she's like totally cool with it. She's like, oh, yeah, no problem. <laughs> and, you know, she, she goes, aren't you going to help? And I'm like, what movie is this? <laughs> it's not one of the movies you're used to, Ryan. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, I don't know um, what yeah, you're talking about. Prison. All right. <laughs> yeah, right, it's Arkansas. Women's Prison Massacre. But yeah, I think the phrase you were looking for, Mike, was wenches. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there we go. <laughs> yeah. Beer wenches, they used to be called back in the day. My ye olde English isn't isn't caught yeah. up. <laughs> yeah, I, I think this movie is fantastic. Even like, like how you sing, Ryan, how much fun they had with it. Like, just how Dracula Kim comes back. Just, you know, it's so implausible. It's so funny. <laughs> It, it really is like the Friday the 13th before there was a Friday the 13th. They're like, how are we going to bring him back? I don't know. This guy cracks his head open and blood falls through the ice. And then he's back. Don't worry about it. He's just back. Yeah. <laughs> like they do that in every movie. They're like, oh, yeah, he's just there. Uh, just but like, I, like I was saying with the hammer in there, you know, the way they there's like humor and there's all kinds of stuff. When they first introduce the main character, the guy who's going to be going to college, um, he's described by the girl. He's like, Oh, he's a clever boy. Who's going to be a doctor or professor or something. And then like, she says that line and immediately it cuts away to like, 
this shirtless caveman dude hunched over a fire <laughs> throwing things in. And I'm like, that's classic Hammer. They're like, oh, he's going to be a professor. And then it cuts away and he's like, Ugh. <laughs> Yeah, crush, kill, destroy. Yeah. Oh, it's so funny. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the... that is a classic. I mean, yeah. I've got a, I've got a, um, a box set, actually. I think you sent me, Ryan, with four of the classic Hammer movies in it. Definitely, I, I may have sent you that. I, I've been acquiring most as many as I can on Blu-ray. They're really right. weird to come across because some of them are only European releases and some of them are only U.S. And yeah, so I end up like picking, you know, picking from here and there. But I try to yeah. get as many as I can. So I, I probably got a whole bunch of them in, you know, my old box sets. I'm like, I don't need to have these on the shelves. Yeah, I've got precious, a, precious space. Yeah, I've got a screen, a copy of Dracula, Prince of Darkness on Blu-ray. Um, yep, I got sent a few years back. I actually it's... saw this in um in theaters because yeah. yeah, it was last September. My girlfriend and I went to a twenty uh, four hour horror movie marathon. And they have it every year. I forget what they call it. I think it's like the Music Box Massacre. I think they just called it the Massacre this year. Mm. And uh, they played Dracula's Risen from the Grave, and it was just so cool to see it in the in the theater setting. And as soon as Christopher Lee came on, everyone started clapping, and it's yeah. just yeah, it's a really good feeling towards it. Yeah, yeah so he's quite, he's great. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was the, it was a year two days ago. Um, it was his anniversary two days ago since Christopher Lee passed on as well. That's still crazy. Yeah, I know. I can't legend. believe it. The man is a legend. Yeah, I love and like he's played Dracula like a million times. <clears throat> yeah, and this one I think is one of his his best portrayals. He's like. He's so serious, like no nonsense, completely brutal. Like when they when they show the shots of his eyes are all blood red and he's pissed off and he turns around, uh, it's amazing. Yeah. Like he really he really goes for it in this. And there's there's a couple of the Dracula movies that um I guess he's had disagreements with the studio and with directors and whatnot, and he's basically told them like I'm not gonna ha- I don't want to do any more lines and he'll only have like one line in a movie. You could tell yeah. this wasn't one of them. He was definitely like all in on this one. See, that's the thing. I mean, Christopher Lee to me, he will always be Dracula. He is the definitive Count Dracula in my in my eyes. Um, well, actually, no, no, I tell a lie. Sorry, it's Bella Lugosi for me, Back. I suppose. But backtracking you know, already. Yeah, sorry, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm tired, all right. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's um, Christopher Lee, legend. I, cinema is just not the same without him. And the yeah. guy's a metalhead as well. That's oh, the cool thing about Christopher Lee. I mean, this is the man who recorded Chris metal renditions of Christmas songs. Yeah, he's pretty awesome for that. Uh... Yeah, and what I the hell the is last... the name of his band? Charlemagne. Charlemagne, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and did you listen to the album he released last year, or not last year, the year before? Oh, Just... I have. I've heard one song. I don't know. I don't have the whole album. I know. I, I've right. definitely heard like the lead track or something out of it. I listened to it on YouTube, and I was amazed because that guy. I mean, he had a baritone voice anyway, but he could really hit those low notes. It was. He had an amazing voice. He was in his nineties when he recorded that. Yeah, he was. He was 94 when he passed away. <laughs> a 90-year-old metal singer. Yes. Yeah. So epic. I mean, I mean, the fact of the matter is, he was recording Christmas songs. 
and you know it's like yeah let's beef him up let's have a bit of metal in there you know because who would have thought that Christopher Lee would have been a metalhead yeah you know the most surprising thing ever but still quite amazing so yeah that's pretty much Dracula's Risen from the Grave I'm a big fan of it I'm a big fan of every you know pretty much any Hammer Dracula movie um there's not many I don't enjoy, but this is definitely yeah. one that I think stands out in my mind, at least. Definitely. That's, it beats any of the 70s uh, Dracula Hammer films. Yeah, I mean, I've got some, I've got a few little notes here um, regarding the film itself. I got? mean, it was, the, it was the first film to receive a rating from the MPAA. Um, uh, I don't know what the MPAA is. is that Motion like, Picture uh, Association of America. Right, okay, there we go. Thank you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so it was so, the first uh, film rated? Yes. That's strange, I guess. Uh, yeah. yeah, I guess that timeline's about right. Yeah. It was also Hammer's most profitable film at the time. Um, it's, the film itself has a body count of five. Um, uh, and the actor, Ewan Hooper, um, his, all his lines were dubbed throughout the entire film. And uh, just a little anecdote regarding Christopher Lee. Um, he loved to recount a following tale that Hammer had been given on a that Hammer had been given an award to industry while shooting the final scenes of Dracula impaled on the rocks, with a group of British dignitaries watching. After they finished, the minister turned to his wife and said, "That man is a member of my club." <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, flailing around on a on a gold cross. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So yeah, yeah this was a, this was an interesting one too because um, this is one of the few Hammer Dracula movies that wasn't done by Terrence Fisher as a director. Yeah. Um, so I, I think he was supposed to do it, and then something happened. He got sick or backed out, or something happened last minute, and uh, um, uh, who was it? Freddie Francis took over. Yeah, um, I think uh, he died just before filming. Oh, okay. Yeah, so that might have something to do with it. But yeah, it was uh, it's still an awesome film, regardless. Awesome. Yes. Well, let's go to our next one, Shane. I'm gonna make a request. Let's go let's go to Lost Boys next. Lost Boys. My personal favourite. Let me just Whoa. grab a note. Just is that your favourite or are you gonna change that in the next second? Oh shut up, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> um Lost Boys, there we go, and I've got quite a fair bit in, on this one. Um, obviously, right, we'll start. Lost Boys obviously starts off with a family of three moving to Santa Carla to go and spend time with uh, Diane Weist's um, father, um, with Sam and Michael, basically after a pretty messy divorce. So she takes the boys to Santa Carla, and um, they Sam meets up with. The Frog Brothers, who then in turn tell him about the shady goings on in Santa Carla and how it's the murder capital of the world, um, and how Michael, when they go to the fair, Michael falls for Star, um, and uh, it's when uh, they find out when Sam and Michael find out that there's more to David and his gang of biker friends uh, when in fact they're actually vampires. And the rest of the film is essentially Sam and the Frog Brothers attempting to stop 
Michael from feeding on anybody and trying to find the head vampire and kill him off with comical results. And this is a film that for me, um, I saw in cinemas in 1988. And there's a funny story behind this. I was 13 years old. I was 13 years old at the time. So it was just before my 14th birthday. And I'd gone with a friend who happened to be 15 years old. Um, and obviously, I think I've, I've told you before about the cinema, cinema um, or film certification in the UK, 15 years old, with the 15 certificate of film, which Lost Boys was. Right. You have to be 15 to watch it. There is no, you know, um, there is no, if you're five years old and you want to go and see a film with your dad and you're going to see your Lost Boys, which I suppose the equivalent would be an NC-17 or something like that. Um, no, in the US so, it, would be, it would be rated R. It would be rated R, right. Basically, so in the US, I, I assume you can take small kids to go and see an R-rated movie, as long yes, as the but, adult. But, yep, yep. Yep. Yes, but right. not an NC-17. Well, not an NC-17, right. Well, basically, they um, in the UK, it's you have to be 15 years of age or you don't get in. And um, I'd gone with a friend of mine who was two years older than me, and apparently I would looked older than him. So they let me in, and they refused to let him in, um, <laughs> nice. which was uh, quite entertaining. But yeah, that was, oh man, that was February 1988. That's when I was born. Really? <laughs> yep, February 12th of 88. Wow. Sorry. Oh man. No, that's all right. <laughs> that's all right. Just make me feel considerably older. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, um, so essentially, I mean, throughout the entire film, you've got all these, all these comic anecdotes with the two Corys, Corey Fieldman, Corey Haim, and obviously you've got Jason Patrick playing Michael, Kiefer Sutherland as David, and um, Edward Herman playing. Um, uh, Oh Christ! What's his name? The um, Max. Um, there yeah. we go. <clears throat> right. Um, yeah. So um, and it also this film is also known for having. Um, oh, what's his face? Oh, Bernard Hughes. Bill and, Bill and Ted. Oh, 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 oh yeah. Uh, Alex yeah. Winter. Alex Winter. Yeah, it was, yeah, his first film role. This was this was before Bill and Ted. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, that was his uh, his first film role, role playing Marco. Yeah, he's he's one so, of the background vampires. He's not not even like yes. one of the main ones. He's the he's the one they first kill. Yeah, in the cave. You killed Marco. <laughs> You're dead meat. Yeah. <laughs> one of the few uh, Joel Schumacher films that are actually uh, worth watching. Any good. Yeah. Oh, come on. Good. What do you got against Schumacher? Everything. Everything, everything else. <laughs> everything else. Yeah, and it's funny because I can remember for my fourteenth birthday, I actually got the soundtrack album on vinyl. That's awesome. Um, from my brother, and which over the years actually got stolen, which I'm none too impressed about. I've been trying what? to track it down. Yeah, I've been trying to track it down on vinyl since, but I have not been able to find it, and I am not paying ridiculous amounts of money online just to get another copy of that on vinyl. But, did, did it did it have that Tim Capello song on it from the beginning? It had everything on it. 
the the shirtless, sweaty, yeah. glistening you know muscle what? man <laughs> yeah. making making love to a saxophone on stage. <laughs> yeah, as, as oh, the main <laughs> characters watch. <laughs> See, it's quite funny, right? Because I mean, I know we frown upon sequels, especially Lost Boy sequels, because there are two sequels to this movie. You know, I've never, I've never watched them. Neither. Yeah, I, I have just out of morbid curiosity, really. But um, the second movie actually has a parody of the guy playing the sax, and instead of the guy <laughs> being all oiled up and muscled, he's like this big fat bloater, um, like looking really rough with a trumpet. So, um, <laughs> kind of downgraded. Obviously, the budget didn't allow them to have a saxophone on the, on the set, so they had to get a trumpet instead. But that's, um, that's pretty funny. But yeah, um, yeah, the film itself. I mean, it always it's it holds a very very special place in my heart because I've always loved this film, um, and it's just amazing soundtrack. It's got some um, brilliant, brilliantly cheesy '80s haircuts. And sure. yeah, I mean that mullet, man. It's like all I'm gonna say is I rocked that mullet when I was 14 years old. All right, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's um, it's got some. Um, there's so much about that film that I absolutely love. It's nice. well, everything about it. Are you guys but, aware uh, of the, the the huge gay following this movie has? Oh yes. And th- yeah, this I've is actually heard about it. This has become one of my fa- my favorite parts of the movie, <clears throat> right? And, and I'm a hundred percent behind it. So there's, um, I'm not even gonna call it really a theory because it's pretty much if you just watch this movie and, and are paying attention to it, there's a lot of openly, um, I guess you could say sort of uh, homo- homosexual imagery and and plot devices being put forward that many people believe that Michael going over to the vampires is, is basically him not accepting his own homosexuality. Right. And him battling against it. And there's so many, like, gay images and, um, and I guess, just performances that are in the movie. <laughs> like, and well, when we, like, we just discussed Tim Capello's amazing shirtless glistening man performance at the beginning. <laughs> I mean, you, you've, you've got the longing looks between Kiefer and Michael being ex- accepted yeah. into a group of outsiders and leather clad in piercings. I mean, you in the 1980s in the USA, that wasn't like a cool look that like, oh, the badass guys got, you know, earrings and, and leather jackets. That was like a, a typical um, West Coast homosexual outfit. And well, basically um, what you're saying is that all look like a bunch of minces. Essentially, I mean, I, I wasn't obviously in the West Coast uh, and really a lot. I mean, I was alive during the time period, but I, you know, I was not out at the gay club scene, so I'm not sure what exactly was happening. But that's what I hear. And You're like five. Um, there's, there's so, exactly there's so many clips in there like stop fighting me, Michael, join us as they're in each other's arms. They're in each other's arms, face to face, like he's yeah. right in his grill. Oh. Plus, not to and, mention yeah. the fact that, yeah. Basically, yeah, the story is it's a, it's a failed romance between, you know, when Michael rejects what he's become. Yeah. And, and there's a lot to back it. I mean, Schumacher himself is, you know, obviously an openly gay director, and he, he puts a lot of stuff in his movies that sort of um, sees the prejudices he sees in his own life, you know? So, and, and I think not that he purposefully put a lot of the stuff in, but because he's got his own perspective, I can see that sort of leaking in. I mean, there's, there's a lot of other stuff in the movie with like 
Corey Haim and his ridiculous fashion sense for like a, a 1980s not, teenager. Not to mention his uh, poster with the open shirt Rob Lowe. Oh yeah, in his bedroom. <laughs> in I in his totally forgot about that. In his closet, <laughs> by the way, and he can only get yeah, to his naked his Rob Lowe poster when he, yeah. when he goes in the closet. <laughs> Oh, so I mean, I'm, I'm going to totally give credit to this, uh, to opening my eyes to um, my cousin John Doolin and uh, Spencer Swindon on their on their podcast. Uh, you can't hmm. sit with us, which was one of my favorite episodes, and they talked about gay horror, and this was definitely the one that I had heard about, but I never really bought into till I listened to them. Then the next time I watched the movie, I'm like, oh my god, they're hundred percent right. This is exactly what this movie's about. Oh man! So I mean, I I love it. I think it's amazing. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, I I've got the soundtrack album. Um, I've had it on all formats over the years as well. So I've had it on vinyl, cassette, and CD, and I've just had to buy my third copy of it on CD quite recently, actually. Oh my god! But yeah, so um, yeah, because all my other copies kept going missing. So um. I've now put a, there's no one's allowed to leave my flat with any CDs. But um, <laughs> yeah, so uh, I mean, this film itself, the original screenplay was, uh, it was a, a Goonies style fifth, fifth and sixth graders um, with the frogs being chubby eight year old Cub Scouts. That was the original script, which could have been quite funny. Oh, Mike um, would have hated it if it was Goonies. <laughs> yeah. <Come on. laughs> hey, you are never going to live that down, Mike. That's fine. That's fine. I defend my opinions. I wasn't yeah. going to mention it. I wasn't going to mention it until you brought up Goonies, and I'm like, how could I not now? He said Goonies. Yeah, as soon as you brought it up, I'm like, shit. <laughs> but yeah, um, there was also in the film, Star was meant to be a boy instead of the love interest. David was Peter. Um, that was the, the original name. Nanook was named after Nan and the Dog, and Sam and Michael's mum was Wendy, all references to um, Peter Pan, with the idea that Peter Pan would have been a vampire. Well, Peter Pan was the leader of the Lost Boys. I mean, yes, that sort of kept some of those, you know, exactly. you get some of the references in there. <clears throat> yeah, um, the Frog, Frog Brothers, ow, um, were named after Edgar Allan Poe. Um, Frog? Yeah, the Frog Brothers, Edgar and Allan. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> Frog? Yeah. I'm an idiot. <laughs> Wasn't going to say anything, but Let yeah. Let that go on the record. <laughs> Frog? But, oh, my God. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, uh, it also invented the phrase vampo, which was later on used in the film and the TV series, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And uh, the whole film took three weeks to film. Wow. Yeah, they did it really? all in three weeks. three weeks. Yeah, which is pretty impressive for what it is. That is insane. Just think about yeah. the special effects and the different shots they had to do in this movie. I mean, when they're yeah. flying around in the house and people got all the vampire makeup on, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah. Um, and interesting uh, interesting little bit of info. Um, John Carradine and Keenan Wynn were the original choices to play Grandpa in the film. Oh, John Carradine would have been awesome. Yeah, but um, Keenan Wynn died just before filming, and Carradine was too ill to um, to take part. Yeah, he's so, he's a classic in the uh, in the vampire world. Yeah, um, 
we'll, we'll have to do Son of Dracula. I think that's the one he played where he played Dracula. We'll yeah. Have to do that and, sometime. Yeah, that sounds cool. And I wasn't aware of this, but the moniker of the murder capital of the world, as it was called, um, as the film was called, was actually a reference to Santa Cruz because that's the name of the actual town. Um, it was involved during a rampage of serial killers in the 1970s. Um, I think it was Edward Kemper um, was the serial killer who was going around and um, hacking people up. <laughs> and the, the, Santa Cruz was actually the murder capital of the world. Yeah, because wow. of because of the um, uh, because of the references to the serial killer who was running them up and chopping people up. Um, yeah, uh, what else is there? Um, <clears throat> 2,000 locals of Santa Cruz were used as extras for the film, so that could have been quite cool um, to have been living there at the time. Yeah, that's Gerard... kind of, you know, the amusement park scene in the beginning and everything. Mm. Gerard McMahon wrote that the immortal track, Cry Little Sister, um, which I have to say is one of my favourite songs on any film soundtrack. Um, <clears throat> he wrote that after reading the script and not written, not seeing a single uh, frame of the film, which I thought was quite cool. But here's awesome. an interest, yeah, here's an interesting part because they were originally going to do a sequel um, called The Lost Girls, and uh, many year, over the years, I mean, there's been so many rumours about who was who it was going to be. Uh, at one point, they had Britney Spears. Um, attached to uh, this, the idea or attached to the film itself. Oh, God. Uh, um, that yeah, makes sense. That... It kind of looked like a vampire for a while. Yeah. Paul, oh. A little Nosferatu makeup when she had her head yeah. shaved. <laughs> that's what, that's yeah. Right. <laughs> but yeah, um, the character of David originally didn't die when he was impaled on the deer hand antlers. Um, the sequel intended to pick it up from where the film finished um, <clears throat> and uh, it was scripted but never made so a comic book which bridges the gap of 20 years implied he survived and created the vampire Shane in Lost Boys the Tribe huh. and when I watched that film the Lost Boys the Tribe I was like oh man this really gives me a bad name because the head vampire and that was called Shane and I thought no this is not right <laughs> and uh, the film is dreadful because I mean obviously they use a lot of the similar camera angles that they did in the original film as well so it was just a dreadful film but yeah. um, I think it would have been quite interesting um, to see if David had survived you know but I think it's kind of cool the way they ended it you know with the implication that they, they all died and then Max being Max being impaled by Grandpa's um, wooden stake, and uh, just that that immortal line that Grandpa says when after the house has been half destroyed, and he said he just says there was one thing I never could stomach about Santa Carla, and that was all the damn vampires. <laughs> and yeah, that's film, awesome. Yeah, the film just ends, and I'm like, oh my god, that is amazing, you know, and. I mean, even the CD soundtrack doesn't have um, it doesn't have Aerosmith's "Walk This Way" on it because they couldn't get the licensing rights for it. 
Oh, that's right. They, yeah, they were playing that when they um, yeah, attacked the surfers, I think. Right? Yeah, that's right. So, um, yeah, I mean, so any version of the soundtrack, the official soundtrack only has nine tra nine songs on it, including the uh, the fairground music as well. Awesome. Well, that's the only reason to buy it. Yeah, of course. <laughs> and Echo and the Bunnymen's version of People Are Strange, because that's just awesome. But um, Great. So that was... That's, uh, that's all cool, you know. That's my take of the Lost Boys. I absolutely love it. If everybody yeah, else doesn't, yeah. So this this is one of those movies. I used to joke about this that if um, I mean back in the day when I went to college, um, it, people mostly had VHSs, and every now and then you'd find somebody that would have a couple DVDs. Yeah. But if you went into any uh, random girl's dorm room, I used to say, and if they had any VHSs, you're going to find two VHSs. One of them yeah. is going to be Lost Boys, and the other one is going to be Fear, starring Mark Wahlberg. Every, <laughs> Why Fear? It's just every dorm room, and I, I, <laughs> I swear to God, I mean, this is, we're talking circa 2000. You'd go into every girl's dorm room, and they'd have those two movies. No matter, And they'd have a bunch of other movies, but those were guaranteed to be there. But, I mean, that's not to say anything bad about Lost Boys. I used to, lo I love this movie from, we used to rent it from the video store all the time. This was a childhood classic for me, essentially. So I mean, this is this is what I grew up on, and I, I love it now, and I loved it then. It's a great movie. Yeah, it took four years for it to be released on VHS in the UK. It didn't actually come out in the, on in, on VHS in the UK until 1992. Yeah, it used to take a while for movies back then. Yeah, I think the so, first one that only had a one year wait time, I think, it was Batman, the Tim, the '89 yeah. Burton one. Yeah, Tim Burton. Yeah, I saw that in the theaters as well. God, I'm old, man. So yeah, everybody should watch Lost Boys and um, pay attention to the homosexual themes because they are amazing. And buy the soundtrack just for that track <laughs> by Tim Capello. Yeah. So. <laughs> oh right. All right, Shane. And... Let's move. Let's move on to the next one. Right. Okay. We're gonna go with a classic from the 1980s. I think on this part, we're gonna go with Fright Night, written and directed by Tom Holland. Um, starring Chris Sarandon, William Ragsdale, and Amanda Bass, with the late great Roddy McDowell. Uh, basically, Charlie Brewster living in the burbs with his mother, and uh, he gets new neighbours um, who he suspects are a bit shady after seeing um, his neighbour and his home help um, carrying in something that suspiciously looks like a coffin. Um, and, I, and uh, people start going missing, and then Charlie Brewster, as he's known in the film, uh, starts putting two and two together, and um, everybody thinks that he's insane and that it's all a lie, and my cat is just... Ah! Fucker. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, basically, he, um, him and his friend, Evil Ed, and his girlfriend, Amy end up joining forces with uh, Peter Vincent, the, the great vampire hunter, um, in trying to tackle the forces of evil that happen to be right on his doorstep. And I suppose, in a way, this could be another one of those films with very big gay connotations in it as well, especially with Chris Sarandon's character. How did you uh, know I was going to say that? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, hang on a minute, his neighbour, he moves in with a man, you know... <laughs> It's practically unheard of. <laughs> this, this is another movie that's got a big like if so. There's a list. There's a bunch of movies out there that um, are 
let's not say purposefully gay, but we're very popular, but have like really homoerotic themes. And yeah. probably the the big two are are Nightmare on Elm Street two and uh, Lost Boys, and a lot of people consider Fright Night like a third one. Yeah, and um, I mean, I I understand where that comes from, and I'm I'm totally behind going for the theory, but I think it's it's a little bit wider than just being about uh, homosexuality. I think it's that Brewster and his, all of his friends are like just non sexual beings. Yeah. And and fucking super sexy Chris Sarandon moves in and is the guy's just pure sexual energy and yeah. gay, straight, bi, it doesn't matter. The guy is just pure sex and he oozes yeah. this sexual energy and turns everybody into sexual beings. I think that's sort of w- what he plays in the movie as opposed to just being, you know, I guess we would say straight homosexual. <laughs> it's not just <laughs> it's not just um, I think um completely gay but it's just sort of this open raw sexual energy that he emits i, think I mean that's what i think they call that a bromance a bromance yeah no i think there's definitely something yeah. going on with him and his uh his housemate um <laughs> what the hell what was the guy's name yeah housemate um, air quote oh <laughs> uh, jerry that's what yeah, yeah. Jerry's. jerry dandridge yes yeah, yeah, so him and Jerry definitely have something going on. I mean, you could see him when, you know, one of them gets the gets attacked, the reaction on the other one's face they show. You're like, "Oh yeah, there's yeah. they're definitely dating." <laughs> I guess it's I guess it's an open relationship because Chris Sarandon gets down with uh, Marcy from Married with Children pretty quick. Yeah, Amanda Bass, yeah, she's not aged well. <laughs> I don't know. I saw her at a convention a few years ago and and she looked pretty good. She looked exactly like she did on Married with Children. And that, you know, really, that ended. He had, uh, what, breast cancer or something? Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. She she became like a, a director, too. She was big in the directing world. She actually used to direct a lot of the episodes of Married with Children, which is sort of funny considering how horribly she was, you know, <laughs> depicted and treated on that show. <laughs> Roasted completely. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so funny, she's like, though. okay, Al, now here's the scene where you completely tear me apart. <laughs> Action! Oh. <laughs> oh man, but yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's it's got everything. It's one of probably yeah. one of my favorite vampire films because uh, everything in the movie just works. The the makeup, the you know the the rear window style of uh, him looking out the window and seeing all that stuff. Yep. It's just it's just so awesome. It is. It's such a it's such a clever film as well, and it's funny. You know, I've I've always loved it. I can remember watching that on VHS for the first time and absolutely loving it then, and I still love it now. And I still watch it with, like I watched it for the first time, you know, it's one of those films you don't ever forget watching, and I thought it was classic. Yeah, I just watched it last year. I went back again and watched it again, like, a week ago because I love the movie so much. I'm like, oh, this yeah. is, it's great. <clears throat> but, yeah, I mean, it is... I mean, I watched it a couple of weeks ago, but it's one of those films that I can quite happily watch again and again and not get bored with it. A scene I love is when he uh, brings the detective uh, to the next door, and he's like, you guys, you, you know, there's there's, uh, there's people in there, you know, they're killing people. And he's like, yeah, sure, come on in. Yeah. <laughs> and he just throws him around. It's so funny. He just doesn't yeah, care at all. The whole vampire test as well, you yeah. know, it's like holy war. No, that's out yeah. of the question. I'm born again Christian and all this kind of stuff. 
Um, <laughs> the look on Roddy's face when he doesn't see him in the reflection, he's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> see, that's one of those, it's an absolute classic. It really is. It's just so brilliant. And then the fear on his face when he, they leave the house and he's like, he cast no reflection. And everyone was like, oh, fuck. Yep. Because <clears throat> yeah, before uh, that, you could even argue that, you know, there were no vampires living next door. It could all be in his head. You know, and yeah. then at that point, you know, it's definite. Right. There, um, and, I was listening to the director's commentary. Actually, there's a whole, like, filmmaker crew that was on there. And they were talking about, which I didn't even realize, they, so they, they made this movie and they had that scene where they're doing all the vampire tests on him. Yeah. And then, this was in 85, right? In 87, uh-huh. the yep. Lost Boys come out and they basically repeat the vampire test scene at the dinner table. Yeah. You know what I mean? And you're, and you're like, oh my god, they just completely stole yeah, it. But I think it is. I think that the whole vampire test scene in the Lost Boys is a lot funnier than it was in Friday Night. Although I, it is, it is classic. It was more blatant. I mean, I think the the test in Fright Night. What, like you said, once Peter Vincent looks at his uh, looks in his mirror and doesn't see him, the look on his face, you're guaranteed to get a laugh out of the whole, the audience watching that. Yep. Yeah. And it is. It is just. A really classy film, because um, I think it was. You were talking about the commentary, um, the actual because they didn't actually have time to record a commentary for the film. Right. Um, yeah, this was done. Every... This was done last year, I think, actually. Yeah. Um, basically, it's like the principal cast recorded two pirate commentaries, which were released as free MP3s um, on the Icons of Fright site. Oh yeah, that's um, what it's from. Yeah, and due to a contract stipulation with Sony, Twilight Time was unable to produce original content for the 30th anniversary release. So both commentaries are on the disc um, of the newer, newer release. Yeah, that's only of the newer yeah. release of the Twilight Time version. Yeah. I also I have the original release, which doesn't have those. Yeah, I've got a copy. I've got two copies of Friday Night. I've got a British. I've got a UK version, and I've got an American disc as well. Really? Um, yeah. On the Blu-ray? Uh, no, not on Blu-ray. These are both was, on DVD. As I say, um, those are tough to come by. Yeah, and neither of those are um, have commentaries. I don't. Well, right. No, I don't think they have. But um, <clears throat> yeah. Also, apparently, it's rumored that cast and crew saw Roddy McDowell um, videotaping behind-the-scenes footage, um, and no one saw the tapes, and no one knows whatever happened to them. So there's possibly shitloads of behind-the-scenes footage um, lurking around somewhere on old VHS tapes. Oh, I'd love to see some of that stuff. Like, yeah, I, that just, was great. Just yeah, how they that... did Amanda Beers's, um makeup on her, like, monster face. Uh, that's so yeah. good. That's one of the most iconic, iconic like, monsters in horror. <clears throat> I just I just saw the other day, I think it was on Reddit or something, somebody posted a picture of this, uh, this tattoo artist new thing, and it, it was her face was front and center. And, yeah, you know, it's it's something that it's on the cover of the VHS, I think. Oh, really? Or at least some copies of it. I'd have to go look at mine. I think it's got it on it. Okay, that'd be cool. Um, and Stephen Jeffries, who played Evil Dead, um, had Ed? Uh, yeah, um, <laughs> well, Evil Ed, isn't he? It's what he's called. Yeah, okay. but um, they said Evil yeah. Dead. Yeah, yeah, no, Evil Ed. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, yeah, he had uh, dental adhesive poured into his mouth by mistake by the FX crew. 
Yeah, he talks um, about that on the commentary. Yeah, and I really liked that mistake when his mouth was being glued shut, which I thought, when I read about that, I thought it was actually quite funny. His um, makeup is what I think of when I think of Fright Night. Every time. Yeah, I think everybody does. It's that in Amanda Bass's face, Amy's, yeah. Amy's vampire face. And they're all fantastic. I mean, the makeup effects and that, practical effects at the time, they were amazing. Um, and it was the first, well, it, in in regards to that, it was the first vampire film to spend a million dollars on special effects. <clears throat> so, uh, and a couple of other bits of interesting info for you. Charlie Sheen auditioned for Charlie Brewster originally. Which is kind of funny because it. I cannot is. picture that at all. That <laughs> you know what it is? He's too cool. You can't have a guy be that cool, be Brewster. I think what it was is because he was in um, he was in Ferris, uh, Ferris Bueller's the year, or the same year. Yeah, as, so the, think, as the cool kid that got arrested for drugs. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> so um, nothing to do with Tiger Blood. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it but, has um, everything to do with Tiger Blood. Yeah. But um, yeah, I think cause it was it was part of the Brat Pack of the 1980s. So it was, um, I suppose they were just trying to get him into every every teen film possible. Yeah, I think what you need with Brewster though, because in the beginning of the movie, he's he's a horror nerd. He's basically us. He's yeah. just this loser kid that sits in his room watching old movies on his TV, and he's got horror movie posters all over the place. And I thought that was another interesting part. If you if you pay attention to the end of the movie. Or after he's fully embraced his sexuality and he's about to have yeah. sex with uh, Amanda Beers at the end of the movie, yeah. If you look at his walls, there no there no horror posters anywhere anymore. They're all like car mm. posters and stuff, and they're like, oh yeah, that's his transformation into like an adult or cool kid now. He's yeah. not, he doesn't have the horror posters anymore. He's like, yeah, we're basically shitting on our audience, and we never realized <laughs> it. Yeah. So um, yeah, I mean, and. Uh... What was it the uh, the ghost visage of the librarian in Ghostbusters was used to, utilized and repurposed for Jerry Dandridge's death, his um, his back creature, um, because it it resembled the vampire's face they they had originally designed. Oh, and yeah, so uh, it was um, basically the whole idea was based around the Ghostbusters ghost. Which I thought was pretty cool. Hmm. Yeah, that's very cool. Yeah. Yeah, he does not go down. They kill him like six times. Yeah, I know. It's awesome. It just goes to prove testament of how strong he is. And, I think that's um, one of the funny things too, because you see you see him throughout the movie. You know, he's obviously uh, he's um, Chris Sarandon's caretaker, and you see him out during the yeah. day and doing things and answering the door and whatever. And um, then it's like you think he's just a regular guy. So when Peter Vincent shoots him the first time, you're like, all right, he's dead. And he's laying yeah. in the background and they show the two of them together, um, Brewster and Peter Vincent. And they're sort of like discussing, like, all right, now we got to go down there. We got to get him. And in the background, you see Jerry just stand up out of focus and he starts <laughs> slowly walking towards him. It's so awesome. Yeah, that's not Jerry Dandridge because um, Jerry Dandridge is Chris Randon's character. I can't remember what the name of the guy is who plays... Um, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I'm yeah. saying Jerry. I meant the uh, his his um, his partner there. Yeah. Um, I can't oh, I gotta look it up. Yeah. Is it Billy? Yeah. Yeah, it is Billy. Yeah. Good. Yeah, one. that's my bad. I've been saying Jerry yeah. the whole time. I'm an idiot. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's it's pretty awesome though. I mean, I don't know if anybody saw the remake of Fright Night. I did. I did. Yeah. 
did you obviously you noticed Chris Sarandon as the victim? Yes. Uh, of uh, Colin Farrell, which I thought was a really cool little nod to the original. Oh yeah, definitely when he's in the car. Yeah. So yeah, it's uh, it was nice that he he played along for that. I thought that was yeah. really cool. I didn't. I, he he's a big fan of this movie too. He goes to a lot of conventions and everything, and he's always he yeah. always wants to talk about it. So. And it's it's kind of interesting because he's like the guy actually is a really talented See, actor. I didn't realize, yeah, I didn't realize how old he was, but he's like seventy now. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't realize that. I thought he was a he, lot younger. He doesn't even look that bad either. He's seventy three. Uh, no, really? Yep, nineteen forty two. He was born. Fucking hell, he's two years younger than my mum. <laughs> wow. And he still does all the Jack Skellington voices from um, Nightmare Before Christmas. He even does them until uh, Disney Infinity, the video games, up until last year. He's pretty dedicated to his role, so... Wow, that's called method acting to the extreme. That's pretty oh, awesome. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Definitely that's amazing. I did not know that. So, yeah, I'm a big big fan of this movie. Um, I think... It's another great 80s. I mean, the special effects in this are worth it. Despite it being an awesome and fun movie, the special effects in it are so good. It's like a must-watch for any horror fan. Oh, yeah, definitely. Check out. Like, uh, when Evil Ed's transforming into the the wolf thing, like, after he gets... Or or the other way around, I mean, he's transforming for the wolf back into into the human. Yeah, it's like on par with all the big ones everyone talks about, like American Werewolf in London and, and the howling, that transformation scene. It's really good. And the vo- and the effects, the vocal effects of when he's obviously in pain and he's transforming as well, is really unnerving. Oh yeah. Yeah. But it's amazing. Great movie. This is definitely one of my favorite <laughs> vampire movies, without a doubt. Yes. Exactly. All right, Shane. What do we got next? All right, we have a personal favorite of mine. I absolutely love this film. Thirty Days of Night. Um, written by Steve Niles, um, the screenplay by Stuart Beatty. Um, this film, <clears throat> this film for me, basically, it's one of the best vampire films there is. I I think it's just brutal. It's it's just beautifully filmed and just stunning to watch. But essentially, the storyline of this is. Barrow, Alaska, or Barrow in Alaska. It um, every every round about, I think it's every winter um, for thirty days of the year, the town is left in perpetual darkness, um, which basically means that a lot of the townsfolk leave uh, because they can't handle it um, for being in the town for thirty days of perpetual darkness, which obviously could lead to all sorts of shitty things happening but this particular time um, a group of of very feral vampires decide to rock up and lay waste to the town um, with spectacular results which is uh, pretty amazing Um, this film has uh, Josh Hartnett which um, playing the character of Evan and then you've got Melissa George and Danny Houston who I don't know if people are familiar with, he's um, actually Angelica Houston's brother. That's hmm. quite cool. And uh, Danny Houston's character, Marlo, um, 
he had he heads the pack of vampires. Oh, hang on a minute, Ziggy, no. So, <laughs> bloody that was my cat. Okay, you guys get a cat. Yeah, that was no. my cat. Okay, both of you get out. I have two cats. I want to get in here. My cat's sitting quietly, very polite by himself. <laughs> okay, sorry. Go on. Yeah, my cat just decided to get himself tangled up in all the wires. Um, oh my god. Yeah. Well, this is a calamity and a half. Um, <laughs> we're, we're definitely going to do a killer cat show. I've got like three or four killer cat movies. We're going to have to. Okay. <laughs> Everybody's being attacked I'm by interested. cats today. <laughs> I'm interested to see your reasonings behind the Shane because I think this is the 30 Days of Night's not the greatest movie I've ever seen. Really? Especially a vampire movie. I can't. I, I you know, I, I liked it when it first came out. I, my buddies and I, you know, were all gung ho for it. Like, yeah. And then I watched it. I rewatched it today, and I was like, "Wow, this needs to get over now." Right. <laughs> okay. Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, basically, um, I could go into my reasons, but yeah, I'm going to anyway. Be prepared. <laughs> so, yeah, do it, man. Yeah. Well, I'm a big fan of the graphic novels, um, written by Steve Niles, and uh, I love the story. Um, because it's just vampires that you just do not see in the cinema. You know, it's just the feral. We don't. We take no prisoners. We don't give a fuck. We will eat you no matter what, man, woman, and child. And this is to me. These are like the vampires that bring terror back into reality. You know, it's how vampires should be. Not these namby pamby fucking euro trash pussy fucking vampires like in Interview with a Vampire. You know, these are like proper hardcore feral. We're just going to tear you apart and drink your blood, right. kind of vampires. And that's the reason why I love this so much, because you don't see vampires like that in everyday cinema. You know, you don't see the feral, the feral kind, who just don't care. They will kill you. You know, doesn't matter who you are. They're not going to let you survive. So for me, that's one of the main reasons why I enjoyed the film so much. Plus. I mean, obviously, being a fan of the graphic novels um, or the original comic, um, that kind of helped, and I like what they did with the film because um, they changed. There were a couple of aspects they changed about it, but for me, they were for the better. So it's uh, it's one of those movies that, for me, I will watch and I will always watch with a smile on my face because it is one of those films that. If I'm going to tell somebody to watch a vampire film, I'm going to say watch 30 Days of Night. And this is quite a big one for me, actually, because even my sister um, says to me or asked me, have you seen 30 Days of Night? And we can both sit there and go off on a rant about how amazing this film is and That's why awesome. we love it so much. Yeah. And, you know, she's it was my sister was the person who introduced me to horror movies and she still watches them, but not as much as she used to. So, and because she's now a mother, and, or she's a mother, and she's a grandmother as well, so she doesn't really watch that many horror movies. But she always asks me about horror movies that are coming out, which I think is awesome because she knows how much I love them, and she knows how how often I watch them as well. So it is really cool to actually sit there with my sister and discuss the finer points of Thirty Days of Night, and I love it. Her her interest in Thirty Days of Night doesn't have anything to do with Josh Hartnett, does it? 
Uh, nah, he's in it. <laughs> I know, but he's like he's like a heartthrob, though. Isn't is that's not uh, the reason she's interested, is it? No, no, she just she likes it the same reason I do for the vampires. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. I asked my girlfriend today. I'm like, hey, what do you think of uh, Josh Hartnett? And she's like, who's that? So I had to Google it, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and uh, I showed her, and she's like, nah, it looks like there's something wrong with him. <laughs> oh it's quite funny actually because he's 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 in Penny Dreadful, which is the TV show um, that's been. I was wondering what she's been up to. Yeah, and um, Penny Dreadful is fantastic. I love it. I think it's amazing because it's just like proper Victorian Gothic horror, and it's just a fantastic TV show. But um, yeah, he's in that with Eva Green, actually. Eva Green looking fine as always. Yep. Um, yeah, so uh, yeah, that's pretty cool. But yeah, um, Thirty Days of Night itself, the film, um, is basically about the survival of what's left of the inhabitants. So it's Josh Hartner and Melissa George get together a group of survivors in the town, and they hole up in one of the houses, and they end up having to move around from place to place in order to get away from the vampire attacks, and. Um, Obviously, they lose a couple of people along the way, which is, in my opinion, some of them are quite worthy of it. Um, <clears throat> a couple of people I always thought were a were complete liability, and they should have died, but that's just me being a heartless bastard. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> Admittedly, uh, it's the children, isn't it? The fuck the children. They should all fucking <laughs> get eaten. But, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but uh, it's... Um, it was just uh, everything about the film, you know, just the atmosphere about it, how it was filmed, because um, it was another one of those films that was, the technique they used for the film was like, they used, filmed it all in the day, so they used techniques to give the impression it was filmed at night as well, and everything about that film, it was eerie, it was atmospheric, it was cold, it was very claustrophobic, and it was just everything about it, it was just perfect in my mind, so it was... Uh, it was quite an amazing film, but I mean, obviously, because I've got the graphic novels, um, and they are slightly different, and the ending is slightly different as well. So uh, it is—it's one of those films I do recommend to people. But um, all right, Shane, that's enough of your gushing. Yeah. I want to—I want to hear what Mike has to say on the negatives of this, because I'm interested in that. All right. Okay. Well, as I said, I rewatched it today, and I—and I had an open—well, not more than an open mind to it. Because uh, I even have, you know, a little 30 Days a Night screen print, and I remember loving it so much. And I'd seen it a couple times before, but I watched it today, and um, I was a little disappointed. <laughs> and it's kind of shocking for me to say that, because I've always liked this movie. But there's a couple gripes that I have. Um, the things I do like, though, are the vampires themselves. As Shane said, they're more hardcore, they're more... Uh, old school, they're coming, they're just tearing people apart. It's it's awesome. The thing I don't like is I don't know why around this time period of like 2007-ish, but they, like in a monster film, a lot of the monsters would squeal and like squeak and just make these odd-ass noises to over-accentuate the fact that they're monsters. And... They would like they move their neck funny and you know they just make odd sounds and okay that's whatever but in this film they do it in like every 
scene, and it is just ear-piercing to me. And they talk normal to one another. They're just like, hey, you know, kill that guy. And the other guy's like, all right. And he goes and kills him. But then they're like, Rah! you know, and they'll just start squeaking out of nowhere. And I'm like, that's okay. I get it. Enough. But, um, <laughs> I like, uh, I forget the actor's name, but the guy who plays the lead vampire. Yeah, when he, yeah well, when uh, she says, like, oh, God, help. And he looks to the sky. And he looks at her and he goes, no, God. I love that. Yeah, yes. that, was a, that was good. That's awesome. Um, yeah. Other than that, I, I hate the characters in it. Josh Hartnett is all right, but everybody else is just so cliche and annoying. And I, I really want all of them to die um, so bad. I don't want to see any of them live. The only other character I, I did like was Ben Foster. Even his accent thing was a little off. But um, <clears throat> I don't know, just, like I said, I just have little gripes with it. But I felt like yeah. the story could have been... I didn't. I didn't care about Josh Hartnett and his love interest at all. Like, not even a little bit. There's vampires walking on the ceiling, and they're like, "Well, we, you know, that could have been us." And it's like, ah, shut up. They're mm-hmm. gonna kill you. You're supposed to be shutting up, and you're talking about each other. Shut up. <laughs> but like, uh, I don't know. That's just that's just my thoughts on it. I think I think watching it for the gore itself is just phenomenal. I think the gore is awesome. Uh, the vampires are coming in, they're just slicing people's throats, and there's blood uh, all over the place on top of the snow. It looks morbidly beautiful. Yeah, that's one of uh, my favorite parts of the movie is the, the sort of red on white, like using the yep. snow to, is such an advantage on the uh, you know the cinematography. They it, Like just the offsetting colors, the, gris- the horror and the beauty at the same time. Like when they're ravaging the town and like on, I guess we, not the first night, but you know what I mean? The beginning of the night yeah. and they do that, the, the high camera shot that's just panning over the town and there's just oh, bodies yeah. and blood everywhere. That's, that's my like favorite. One of my, that's one of my favorite scenes in that film. Oh, it, it stands out. It's absolutely. It's, it's like visually stunning. Yeah. Um, I'm sort of like on both sides of this because I, I think it's a good movie because I like sort of parts like that, but I, I, I know where Mike's coming from because like I, this, the most serious issue I have with the film is its climax. I mean, I don't want to go into too many spoilers on the thing, but like it's just a shaky cam, ab- abrupt conclusion. It seems more like it was just thrown together as opposed to like a well orchestrated final brawl. And instead of it like being this, like the amazing possibilities they have of this sort of conclusion at the end of the movie, it, it sort of left me feeling blue balled at the end. Well, I will say they actually had to. They did actually dumb it down a little bit from the comics. Um, the general characters are all in, or the, all the characters and the ending itself, and did actually um, soften it, so to speak. Because um, the I don't know if you've read the graphic novels, but the graphics are quite brutal. Yeah, I got I got to read those. Cause I hear those are really good. Yeah, oh, they're fantastic. You'll love them. Because um, there's three. The, oh, I can't remember the name of the third one, but you've got um, obviously Thirty Days of Night, Return to Barrow, no, Dark Darrow, Dark Days is the second one, and then Return to Barrow is the third one. Um, <clears throat> but it's it's one of those thing, one of those films when you read the graphic novels and then you see the film itself, you have to because Steve Niles he wrote the original story, he actually had a hand 
in the screenplay itself. So I think it may have been down to him kind of saying, need to dumb this down, need to tone this down a little bit and all that, because the original film itself was meant to be, or it was written as a, um, or the original story was conceived as a film before it became a comic book. And it got rejected so many times. They just said, right, fuck it, we'll just do it as a comic book. And it was that comic book that they then readapted into the film. That was uh, that was going back a few years ago then, because I think that was the first thing Stephen Isles wrote. And uh, when, you, when you watch it, because um, this was also, um, Sam Raimi had a hand in this as well, because I think he became the associate producer for it, because hmm. um, he originally wanted to direct it, but decided against it, because obviously with Sam Raimi, he's got particular trademarks where... Um, David Slade, who directed it, he's a Brit, so um, he obviously had his ideas, and everybody went with it with what he had to, uh, what he wanted to envision. And I think it was um, personally, I thought it was perfect. But there's also um, a prequel to it called Blood Trails. I don't know if you guys have seen it. It's, um, it's stuff. I, I might have it. I think I yeah. have the Blu-ray, and I just never watched it. Yeah, it basically it's the prequel. It tells the story of what happens before Barrow. Like on the ship? Uh, no, it's basically set in New Orleans, oh. and it's about a, it's about a group of computer hackers who come across um, a web page or it's an online chat room, and they manage to decipher the vampire dialect, and the vampire language that they they uh, speak in and it's them trying to get the warning to Barrow and then across, along the lines all the people, all these computer hackers slowly get killed off and it was filmed as part of a webisode series um, and then just before the, or when the film came out on DVD in the UK that was when they released it on DVD as a separate disc and I've got, I've got both so uh, I think there was like seven episodes, seven or eight episodes um, but yeah, I mean, that was pretty cool as well, actually, because obviously it's incorporated in the original novel. So, and they just filmed it separately so they could have that as the prequel. And I thought that was a really cool idea. Yeah. How, um, how was the sequel? It's like 30 days a night. Dark days. Yeah. Dark days. It's, oh, that's um, the one I was thinking of that. that yeah, yeah. That's the one I have the DVD of. I haven't watched. Yeah, it's right. It's okay. It's not brilliant. Obviously, it had a very low budget, um, but it basically tells the character of um, Eben's wife. Um, it follows on from Thirty Days of Night, where she it's played. I can't remember what the name of the woman who plays her, but basically, Melissa George wasn't available, so they got some other actress to play her part. And uh, it's her going around schools and universities telling the world of vampires exist. She ends up meeting up with a ragtag group of people who are also vampire hunters and they all have their own stories as to why. So it's basically her going around with these uh, hunters and killing off vampires that they find. And they also find the character Lilith, who's the vampire queen. And they find her on the ship... Basically, it's that story. I mean, it's, oh, Mia Kirshner plays Lilith. And I have to say, she looks fucking hot as a vampire. 
as a 30 days a night vampire aren't they all like yes. ganked yes. in the face and their teeth are all fucked up yeah no she uh, well she she has those teeth but it's like before she does anything brutal she actually looks really hot as a vampire wow. see that's sort of what i liked about these vampires that i mean i saw them they're almost like a different species they're so mm -hmm. sort of distinct looking um and and I like the ravenous, uh, the ravenous nature of the vampires. That they're they're just animals, you know. They're not yeah. like, like you said, they're not like Dracula. They're not like even like Common Orlock. They're not, you know, this sort of mysterious skulking. They're just monsters. They're they're more like werewolves than they are vampires, almost. Yeah. That they're they're just out to kill. That's all they are. They don't like yeah. puncture two holes in the neck and drink blood. They just rip your throat out and like guzzle what comes out. Yeah. So I, I liked I liked that difference, uh, you know. I liked the visuals in the movie. I think the more I think about the story, the more it seems like it could be on any Sci-Fi Channel Saturday afternoon movie. They're like, oh, we're, there's a sheriff and his and his wife, and they're stuck in a town, and there's vampires, and nobody can, nobody could get them out. Yeah. And then they have to stop the vampires. Like the story itself, I could see that being a weak point, and I'm not a big fan of the climax. So, you know, I can see how this movie can be hit or miss. I really like it. I mean, I think when I reviewed this thing, I gave it like a seven. And yeah. um, I'd say I'd probably stay with that. I mean, it's I think it's a great movie that has flaws, as many movies are. Mm. But your cousin John worked with Steve Niles. Yes, um, he did. Yes, he, on Remains. Yes, John wrote the screenplay for Remains. Yeah, the only not... movie to have uh, Ryan Tudelo as as uh, zombie number six four three. Yeah, all right. <laughs> I've heard about that role. That's uh, pretty popular. Legendary. Yeah. If if yeah, you that... pause the if you pause the movie at one point, you can see my head occupying three pixels. <laughs> so it's it's pretty good. Yeah, that guy Ryan Tudelo. I'm pretty shit in that. Let's face it. He, no, I think he did a great job. I was very impressed by that role. <laughs> if anybody's looking for an autograph or wants to sign me up to play another zombie role in a movie, just let me know. Okay. <laughs> we'll bear you in mind. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I I'm, I'm kind of, I'm not hit and miss. I mean, I think this is a good movie. I just, I, I don't know that it's all that it's cracked up to be. Yeah. Um, I see. Like, I, I gave it a lot of hate, but I mean, it's, it's okay, in my opinion. But it has really good highs. But it's got some really shitty lows in my opinion. I agree. I agree with yeah. that. But you don't hate it as much as the Goonies, eh, Mike? Fuck the Goonies. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you, Mike. <laughs> See, you had credibility for a second there, Mike. And then... Yeah. All right. You know what? I'm not doing this anymore. You guys are too rough on me. <laughs> it was <building> back up. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, oh, that was funny. <laughs> All right. So, uh. Um... So last, we got last 30 movie. days a night. Let's get into the last yeah. one for this podcast. Right, and I think you guys have only just recently watched this, but uh, What We Do in the Shadows. This was um, incredible. This is, yeah, the first time I watched this was for this podcast. Yeah. Same. And the first time I watched it was a few months back, actually. And uh, it was... I'd never heard... I'd heard, it, I'd heard about it, and I was a bit, I was a bit dubious about it. Um, but it's basically written by and starring the guys who did um, Flight of the Concords. 
and I wasn't overly a massive fan of Flight of the Concords myself, but um, I thought I'll give this a look because obviously I saw the trailer and I thought it actually looks quite funny. Um, so I watched it, and I, all I have to say is it's a mockumentary where basically you've got the a cast of four vampires living in a house in New Zealand and it's a documentary film crew following them around and uh, basically filming their everyday or every night exploits of what they get up to and how what it's like to live as a vampire and this is one in my opinion one of the funniest comedy horrors I've seen for a long long time um, it's ingenious it's really well filmed it's really well put together um, and there was no script it was all improvised as well which I think made it even more funnier so um, I loved everything about it and the fact that they're just going around trying to get into clubs and yeah. <laughs> or, you know like you have to invite us in it's like no we don't it's like oh, we really want to get into this club and all that kind of stuff and some of the death scenes in it are just too funny um, but it's just the whole business of them just having fights and lots of references to other films in it as well like when he's serving the spaghetti on the plate to the two humans it's like how are those worms and he just explains oh yeah I love to use a little <laughs> bit of Lost Boys humour in there it's like yeah and... Sard and Lost Boys how many Sard <laughs> yeah. and Lost Boys yeah. <laughs> he tries doing it a second time. He's like, it's not going to work now. He knows about it already. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it is one of those films that every time I watch it, I find something even more funny to watch, uh, to like about it. And it makes me laugh even more. So I love this film. I think it is, it's quality. It really is. Everything about it. Um, it it's just the sense of humour as well. I mean, what was it? Um, Vladislav the poker. Yeah, the, the poker. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, it's the bit when they've got their um, when they've got the human in the house showing them how to use the computer and stuff. And it's like um, he just says to uh, he's describing Facebook. And it's like you could poker, and he says yes, poker. <laughs> <laughs> Everything about it is brilliant because these like old worldy vampires in there in the current in like new day is genius it really is so I like funny. yeah I like how they took like all the different vampire I guess you call them stereotypes or like famous you know vampire characters and they just right. like sp spoofed all of them like obviously, <laughs> yeah. Vladislav he's like Gary Oldman Dracula yeah like scene for scene um yeah. uh the the I guess the sort of the leader of the house the main guy Viago yeah uh he's more of like the um sort of the the waif you know Tom Cruise interview of the vampire yeah. type yeah, and then you've got um, the uh, uh, Peter down in the basement. It's just horrible, <laughs> horrible monsters and no, and Nosferatu makeup. Oh uh -huh. man, it's I like the one scene. They're like, "Oh, Peter." They're talking about Peter's like, "Well, he's eight thousand years old." What do you expect? <laughs> <laughs> he's just he's this awful monster. Yeah. He's not coming to the house meeting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's the bit when the guy escapes out of the house after they're trying to kill him. And then it's like they run out of the or they run out of the garden or run out into the garden, and then all of a sudden Peter jumps on him, and then it's like, oh, Peter's got him. <laughs> <laughs> it's just the way he says, oh, Peter's got him. Yeah. 
and then the next scene you see is him floating in the house window. Yep. It's like, Great. why are you trying to draw attention to the house? You've got a camera crew following you around. Yeah. <laughs> just to justify it all, you have a camera crew following you around. It's just oh brilliant. Uh, yeah, I, I thought the whole movie was really funny. I, I love, um, I'm a big fan of the mockumentary type things, you know, sort of like yeah. Spinal Tap or, um, or um, any of the other, uh, um, what's the guy's name? The actor that's in Spinal Tap. He does like the... Um, Best in Show and oh yeah, oh, I know you mean. Slew of movies. Jamie Lee Cur- Jamie Lee Curtis's husband. Yeah, I can't remember the guy's name now. I'm having a brain fart. But anyway, like those, that whole style of like, yeah, there's a documentary crew that's just following around this group of weirdos for whatever reason. Yeah, <laughs> I think we've got that one. It's just vampires. Yeah, uh, I I so do love this funny. film. I think I think it's a it's a it's a stroke of genius. Yeah, I um, like the part. Michael where, McKean. Uh, ah, there we go. I like the part where the um. The newly turned vampire. What's it, uh, Nick? Yeah. Um, they're out. They're having. They're out on the town and they're having dinner. And he reaches over and he and he grabs a uh, a chip or a French fry. And the guy's oh like, yeah. He's like, I wouldn't eat that if I were you. <laughs> he puts it in his mouth, and the next scene he's vomiting, just like a swimming pool full of blood, just the most blood you've ever seen. <laughs> oh, oh it, you know what? The follow it. The follow. The follow up scene of that. When he has the bat fight, bat fight. <laughs> that was awesome. Yeah, this is the bit after when he basically, um, oh, what's his, oh, I can't remember what his name. When he flies into the uh, electricity pole and lands on the car with the thud. Yep. Just pure comedy gold. I, it was just brilliant. I would say it's easily one of my favorite horror comedies. I mean, I'd put that few spots under. Or right next to Shaun of the Dead for sure. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, and and I I like that the humor isn't, you know, I mean I crack up laughing at it, but it's it it's got I mean they're they're obviously they're for guys are all from New Zealand, right? Yeah. So it's 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 got that sort of a little bit of European but Australian type of humor in that, and I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, I was I was amazed how lighthearted it was. Yeah. Like yeah, they exactly. didn't have to they didn't have to say a curse word, ironically. Like the werewolves, but they uh, they say curse words every other sentence. We're not werewolves. Yeah, (laughs) they didn't have to. You know, that's that's what I really liked about it. The writing was just so good that they didn't need all you know curse words and everything to to get their jokes across, and it was just perfect. It was the the writing is just brilliant on it. It is a story about acceptance and and learning to love who you are and learning to love other people too as they, you know, become become friends with the werewolves because of Stu. (laughs) (laughs) Why are they why is everybody fascinated with Stu? I think that's like a funny that's like one of the funniest parts of the movie. They're like, No, Stu is okay. I I like Stu. They like Stu more than uh, the other guy. Yeah, I still say one of the actually one of the highlights for me is when they um, Stu the not Stu Nick. And, um, they give him the walk of shame. Yes. And they're all walking around in the circle. Shame, shame. He's <laughs> like, we need to do this oh. immediately. <laughs> yeah, Nick's all right. He can come back. Fuck off. <laughs> oh, Stu's all right. Sorry. But yeah, I just comedy killed that film. It oh. really is. Yeah. But what I loved about it was the fact that it was mostly improvised. I mean, apparently there was like 150 pages of script written, but not shown to the cast or crew. So they just did it completely spontaneously, which is what I loved about it. 
and I think that adds to it as well, adds to the humor. Oh, definitely. <clears throat> yeah. It makes it more natural. I mean, like once you know, they have the guys in character, and they're just like, yeah, just whatever, go ahead, do what you're gonna do. <laughs> yeah. That'd be kind of like if a load of UHM crew got together and made a film with no script and like actual reactions. Yeah, I know for a fact I'd probably run around and start punching things in the face, like, fuck off, you know, and then <laughs> running away or something like that and finding a weapon and then start hacking things up. But, yeah, it's just... <laughs> Note to oh, self, shit. don't make a movie with Shane. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But, yeah, so, yeah I mean... Great movie. Um, mm. So let's go over the ones we covered in this show in case people don't want to go back and rewind and see what we thought. Um, Nosferatu, 1921. I, I think one of the most beautiful movies and a must for any um, cinema fan. But it might it might be tough for uh, you know people that aren't used to silent movies or anything that's like sort of that old. I mean, I, I could see it being, I won't say difficult to watch, but you know maybe off putting to someone that's you know not open minded enough to check it out. I'd say so. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. If you're a fan of the classic gothic horror, it's a good film to start with. Oh yeah. Great scenery in that too. Oh, you know, yes. there's some, some those the castle is still there today. Yeah. Of uh, what they shot, and which is which is amazing because a lot of the places were, that were filmed for that movie were destroyed in uh, World War II. Mm. Um, Dracula's Risen from the Grave, a classic Hammer horror movie, sort of plucked out of the center of the, their Dracula movies. Yeah. Uh, I'm a big fan of it. Um, there's probably better <laughs> Hammer um, Dracula movies, but I mean this one. This one's got like a, a place in my heart. It's because it's so ridiculous. I love all the sort of over the top things that happen in it. Yeah. And uh, we got uh, Fright Night, classic movie, nineteen um, eighties, great effects, great story, great cast. Everything is just you know top notch. And um, yeah, def everyone sh everyone should be checking that out. Horror fan or yeah. not, I think Fright Night's definitely a movie anyone could watch and have a good time I with. Yep. I I actually have the novel of that, of Friday Night. There's a novel? Yeah. Like a film adaption, or was the novel yeah, first? it was the film adaption. Um, huh. Yeah, I, I found it in a charity shop for 35 pence. And Yeah, it's, I found it quite, it's quite funny, because I never knew it existed. I had no clue. But I just read it, and it basically just elaborates on the, on the film itself, and it is really well written. See how deep it goes into the... Uh into the love triangle between uh, Jerry, Billy, and uh, Amanda Bierce's character. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll reread it and get back to you I, on that yeah, one. Yeah, I need more background on that. <laughs> you know what? I, I just remember this. This is totally, I mean, not really off topic, but so this that movie was semi-remade in like 2003 or 2004 into a, only, it was a werewolf instead of a vampire. And uh, the werewolf was played by Kevin Sorbo. And it oh was it was called like a Never Cry Werewolf or Never Quite Cry Wolf. I can't remember um, the exact title. It's something along those lines. And it wasn't that bad for a Kevin Sorbo movie, but just and I think they flopped the character for instead of being uh, a male, it's a female uh, in the Brewster role. I mean, her, her name isn't Brewster, but the movie is totally just Fright Night with a werewolf. Right. So I need to watch that immediately. It yeah. Well, if you're looking for a good Kevin Sorbo movie, there are not. <laughs> I have but, if, been. but if you're willing to watch Kevin Sorbo movie, this is the one to watch. <laughs> I'll give so, that yeah. one a miss then. 
Um, the Lost Boys, 1987, another 80s classic, classic movie, classic uh, coming out movie with so many deep homosexual cuts. Everybody should watch it and love it. Because it is an amazing film. Yes. Oh, that's a fantastic film. And then we got uh, 30 Days a Night. We had a little split decision on that one. Shane loved it. Mike loved it less. I was probably maybe in the middle of them. So, but I think it's worth checking out. I mean, it's for a 2007 movie. There's not a whole lot of great horror movies around that time period, I think. That, like, pre-2000, the early 2000s, from 2000 to 2010. I kind of think there's a little bit of a drought of great horror in there. I don't know. Maybe, oh. maybe, I'm, maybe I'm speaking out of line, but... No, I agree, actually. So, yeah, there I think it, it's worth yeah, checking there out. Were, there were a lot of horror movies in that time. I watched a lot of films in that time, and I can't pick one that I thought was really good other than 30 Days of Night, seriously. Well, I have everybody email us and uh, tell us the good movies around that time period that we're forgetting. Mm. I'm sure somebody knows. Yeah. And um, lastly, we got What We Do in the Shadows, a mockumentary from 2014. Absolutely hilarious. Um, it's, it, I mean, it's a horror in that it involves vampires and I guess there's there's blood in it, but other than that, it's just pure comedy, absolute, and it's a good it's a good time too. I think anybody can enjoy this. I think the look we're going for is dead but delicious. Dead but delicious is that a tagline? <laughs> no, that's that's one of the lines that um, Vladislav uses when he's talking <laughs> and they're getting ready to go out. Yeah, and he says the look I'm going for is dead but delicious. <laughs> just quality, just absolute quality. I love when you meet when you finally get to see the beast. That's one of my favorite <laughs> Hello, beast. Hello, asshole. <laughs> oh, so funny. Oh, crap. So yeah, everybody should check those out. Um. So anybody got any last uh, last thoughts on any of the movies? No. Uh, well, other than go watch them all and go and check out these movies because we recommend them. We're right. Yeah, Everybody else is wrong. Yeah, I mean, definitely form your own opinions on these because uh, we may like something that you don't. So yeah, and let, us, let us know. Come back, send us an email. Um, hit us up on uh, on Facebook on the uh, UHM fan page or on the regular UHM page. Oh, if I just remember, we got a new email address for the show. So if anybody wants to send in requests or if you have comments or death threats or nudes or anything that you want to send. Um, you could send them to uhmpod at gmail.com. So that should be pretty easy. Other than that, you can catch us on, uh, you know, like I said, the Facebook page or the, the uh, UHM tweet at UHM yeah. tweet. Yeah, follow us on UHM tweet. Yep. And then you and, have the, uh, mother, did, the mother site. We just, uh, uh, Fright just opened up an Instagram, right? Yes, he did. Um, um, for UHM. It's basically going to update um, just upcoming movies, you know, just new movies that are coming out. So, yeah. Do you know what but, the uh, the, the uh, UHM Instagram account is? Is it just UHM or upcoming horror movies? I can't remember. I think it might be actually. I think it is upcoming horror movies at Instagram. I'm gonna check right now. I think it's upcoming horror movies. Yeah. Yeah, it's upcoming horror movies. All one word. All right, cool. All one word. Right, cool. Yeah. So follow that on uh, Instagram and. There's probably other social media things that I don't know about. So hit us all up. Um, you guys got anything else? I ha don't have anything, really. Uh, how about you, Shane? 
no, nothing going on here. Okay, great. Uh, well, we'll yeah. we'll end it here. We'll all go back and uh, we'll Shane will tend to his cat wounds and Michael go tend find my... where he kicked his cat out. Oh, yeah, tend to my cat wounds. I've got an additional three since we started talking. <laughs> The cat is asleep on the back of the sofa at the moment, funnily enough. Well then you're not moving anywhere. You can't once once you move he'll be he'll be aware you're alive still. Oh he'll, yeah. We'll go with the kill. Yeah. I'll probably wake up tomorrow morning with half my legs shredded. Alright guys, so that takes care of this episode. Um thanks for joining us and everybody have a great night. Yep. Yep, good night. Thank you for listening to UHM's podcast. Join us on Facebook. And please visit our main page at upcominghorrormovies.com. We'll see you next time.